Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Notice a psalm of David. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you. As a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul... Wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Surely. Men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. So far we read God's holy and inspired word. Now verse 8. Trust trust in him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. As I said, this psalm was written by King David. It was most likely written at the time, or in connection with the time that he had to flee from Absalom, his son. That's suggested in verse 4, they only consult to cast him down from his excellency. He was king. He was the excellency. And there were those who sought to cast him down. That fits the situation of Absalom. In this desperate situation, David spoke of his soul waiting upon God. In the opening phrase, he makes a confession. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. What a confession. I'm waiting for the Lord. Patiently, calmly. But then, as we go through this psalm, it becomes evident that that confession, well, there were still struggles in his soul. So that in verse 5, he takes his soul to task. My soul, wait thou only upon God. Closely related to this, David now calls the people to trust in God. That's the passage we have before us tonight. Notice he addresses the people. Ye people! Pour out your heart before him. The people here are the people of Israel, the covenant people of God, the church of the Old Testament. 
because of the connection, inseparable connection between the church of the Old and the New Testaments, what is said here to the church of the Old Testament applies also to us today. And he calls the church, at all times, trust God. Trust Him. Not just in good times, but also in bad times like we have at present. And he calls the church also to pour out your heart before God. That's what you do when you trust God. If you trust Him, you pour out your heart to Him. You pour all your heart out and all your concerns. And then David also finally gives the basis for this. Why trust Him? Why in that trust pour out your heart before Him? Because God is a refuge for us. The Word of God is important for us to hear. We experience ourselves both good times and bad, don't we? That's true of us as a congregation, First Protestant Reformed Church. I've been around here for a long time. Maybe not as long as some, but I came in 1995. That's, what, 28 years ago. And uh, we've enjoyed many good times. We've had many baptisms. It took a while. When I came to First Church, we had mostly old people. After about 10 years in, we started to have more baptisms than we had funerals. And of course, that meant marriages, and that meant children, and confession of faith. Those were all good and enjoyable things that this congregation has experienced, and with it, unity and peace, and we've grown much together. However, we've had some hard times, too. It's rather interesting that of all the long terms of ministers, 11 years, 18 years, 19 years for me, and in my nine years of retirement, we're on our fourth pastor. That's not really conducive to stability, although the Lord has certainly preserved us, and we're very thankful for the pastor we have now. But it was just over a year ago that our third pastor resigned and left the denomination and left us in a very tight spot. Um, we've had important members die. An elder died on the weekend of Labor Day, Jerry Van Barron. That shock, shocked us and shook us. And our denomination has gone through a split of recent times. And now there is a great concern about sexual abuse. Good times and bad times. That's also true of us individually as families. Good times and bad times. The good things that have happened to our church are enjoyed by us as families and individuals. But there's also been hard times for families, deaths, sickness, financial problems, wayward children, depression, and on and on we could go. In all these things, we must trust God at all times and pour out our heart before Him, knowing that God is our refuge.
I call your, your, your attention to trusting in the Lord. Notice, first of all, the meaning. Secondly, the manifestation. And finally, the basis. Now I'm going to have to sit down for a while. I thought I could stand up longer, but not so. Trust in God. What does it mean to trust in somebody? There are three elements in trusting someone. First of all, there's confidence. If you trust in someone, you have confidence that that person is able and willing to provide for your needs and help in time of need. Not only does that person have the ability, but also the willingness to be of great help in your need. That first of all, confidence. Secondly, reliance. Because of this confidence, you rely on that person. You depend upon that person. You dear turn to that person to provide for the needs that you see this person is able and willing to provide. And the third element is expectation. Because you're confident and you are relying upon him, you live in the expectation that this person that you trust will provide for you in your need. We find that kind of trust in little children. The Bible sets before us little children as an example of trust and faith. I remember when I was a little boy, I trusted my parents. My dad could do anything. And he was willing to do anything. I knew it, had no doubts, my dad. And so I relied upon him. When I had a need, I went to him. And, and I expected that he would be there. And he was. Now the sad thing is when I turned to be a teenager, now listen up, teens, that all changed. It all changed. Then my dad didn't know anything. He didn't. He didn't get it. He didn't understand. So many things he wouldn't let me do. I didn't have any confidence in him at all. Nor did I turn to him and rely upon him. Nor did I expect anything good from him. Oh, that's a sad thing. You know what I'm talking about? Well, then I got married. And started raising my own family. And then I saw a different perspective. No, my dad couldn't do everything. Neither could my mom. But they were worthy of my confidence. They knew a lot. They were able to help a lot. And they stood ready to. And so we relied upon them for advice and sometimes help. And we expected that they'd be there when we needed something. Teenagers, young people, don't forget that. When you come to the conclusion your mom and dad don't know a thing and they're not worthy of your trust and the only one that you can trust are those you go to school with no don't do that in similar manner we are charged as the people of God to trust in God that must means we must have first of all confidence in God to provide 
for our needs. We have all kinds of needs, don't we, as his people? Basic, food and drink, clothing and shelter, a job to provide these things. We need them. We need the forgiveness of sins. We're all sinners. If God doesn't forgive us, we will fall into the hands of an angry God and perish. We need desperately the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And we need more than that. We need also deliverance from the power of sin. You know, as God's people, we are born again. We are new men and women whose basic direction is changed from the way we are born naturally, depraved. But all the temptations that are out there and all powerful our sinful nature is. And very easily, sin dominates our lives, brings misery and sorrow. We need help from God through Christ by the Spirit to turn from sin, to put away sin, to walk in godliness. We need that every day. That's really a greater need than food and drink and clothing and shelter. But there's more. By the way, those needs are so great that Jesus taught us to pray for them in the model prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Those are prominent needs we have. And we need help in time of sorrow, time of grief, when we're anxious, when life looks too much and we're discouraged. We need help in our marriage. We need help in raising our children. We need help in every direction. To trust in God means that you're confident that God in Jesus Christ is not only able to help, but also willing. Not only able, but I'm confident he's willing. And therefore, I rely upon him for these things. I turn to him for help. I turn every day. Seeking his help. And then I live in the expectation of good things to come from the hand of God. And that's in this psalm also. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. I expect good things from God. That's trusting in God. Now, we're told here, trust God at all times. To understand the thrust of this passage and this phrase, at all times, let's bear in mind, first of all, that the term translated time describes time, the time of an event, and views time from the viewpoint of what takes place at a certain time. Oh, it's 5 o'clock, it's time for church. Oh, it's 9 o'clock, time for you to go to bed. It's 7 o'clock, 
tomorrow morning. It's time to get up and get to church and get to work, get to school and get to work. It's time. It looks at time from the viewpoint of what fills time. And then that phrase, at all time, literally means in every time. The sense is in every situation and every event of life, no matter when it occurs. And so what we're told here is this. No matter what happens and no matter what time it happens, we must trust in God. Not just in times of prosperity, but also in times of adversity. Yeah. In times of prosperity, it's easy to trust in God, isn't it? Our needs are being met. We've got a good job, good income. Got food on the table, a nice home, good car. Got money to do things. Marriage is going well. Our children are behaving well. Our older children are marrying in the Lord. What a beautiful thing. And, and, and we know that this all comes from the hand of God. It doesn't just happen by chance. According to his promise, he's providing these things for us. And so it, it, it's easy to trust in him. In the time of prosperity, except, don't forget, when we do prosper by the hand of God, we tend to forget. <laughs> we tend not to rely upon God. But it's easy to trust God in a time of prosperity. But it's quite a different matter during a time of hardship. When we have poor health and sickness, lingering illness, terminal illness, that's another matter. When God takes a loved one from us, and we're lonely, and there's an empty place in our home. That's another matter. When there are financial struggles, we're unemployed, or the job we have doesn't pay enough to pay the bills, and there's family problems, things aren't going well in the marriage, we have a child that's very rebellious, and we're very fearful of this child, and there's depression and anxiety. It's often during these times that we fail to trust in God for various reasons. We may conclude God doesn't care. If he cared, all these things wouldn't happen. I remember a situation in one of my churches, a woman, a godly woman, one thing after another after another, happened to this family medically. And she became afraid of what was going to happen. And she started to become afraid of God. What is God going to bring next? She struggled to trust in God. And her situation is not unique. Or it may be in, in the face of adversity, we may conclude that God is punishing us. I remember a situation where a young girl, three years old, got her feet all mangled up in a lawnmower 
a riding lawnmower. And because this family was poor, brought her to the doctor, and I was asked to drive this mother and the child to the hospital. And the first thing this mother said, God is punishing me. God is punishing us. I said, no, we're not. You got to get that out of your head. This is not God's punishment. And then the situation can be so desperate that we may conclude there's no solution at all. And not even God can help. 1979, a bad nervous breakdown I experienced. The worst thing of about a bad clinical depression is you lose all hope. You can't manage to do a thing. You can't focus. Your whole hand, your life seems to slip like water through your hands, and you're stuck. And I would search the scriptures. Look at all the miracles God has done. It's going to take a miracle to get me back going. Literally, I thought that. But the day of miracles is done. Is there really a solution for me? Struggled to trust God. And so sometimes in those situations, we either look to someone else for help instead of God. He doesn't care. He turned his back on me. Or sometimes we just give up. There's no help at all, not even in God. The admonition is trust in God at all times, in every instance. Trust in him not just in times of prosperity when it's obvious that God is providing for us, but also in times of adversity when we can't see God's love. God's care, God's wisdom, God's determination to care for us. Even in times of adversity, we must have confidence in God. Trust in Him. Confidence that He's not only able but willing to provide true help. Rely upon Him. Expect good things from Him. That's the thought here. You know, it still feels good to just to sit here. I think I'll do the whole thing this way. <laughs> the manifestation. Next, David exhorts the people, the church, pour out your hearts before God. To pour out your heart before someone is to tell them everything that's on your heart. So that literally your heart is poured out and emptied of all the things you've got in it. Think of a pail or a jug full of water and you pour it out so that it's empty. Pour out your heart. Take all the contents of your heart that you are conscious of, that's, that, that's in your heart, and pour them out to God. That's something we do in prayer, isn't it? 
as we communicate to God what's in our heart. That's what prayer really is. What a wonderful gift and miracle prayer is. We're talking about the God who is so great, so exalted, we can't even see him. He's everywhere present. And we have the right in Christ, the privilege of talking to him and drawing near into his presence so that we really feel we're there. That is an amazing thing. That's a privilege, a great gift. Well, that's how we pour out our hearts to God in prayer. And what are the things that fill your heart and mind that we must pour out to him? How about your sin? Are you conscious of your sin? Every day we sin. Everything we do is touched by sin. We must pour those out before God. Yes, our sins and faults that we will pour out to no one else. Pour them out to God. Pour out our struggles that we have with sin, the temptations we encounter, the difficulty we have in resisting this sin or that. Take the things that you know you're supposed to do before God and, and, and you're terrified and you're way out of your comfort zone and you're procrastinating and you don't want to do it. Pour that out to God. Take all your cares, all your worries, all your fears, all your concerns, pour them out to God. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Take them and, and, and cast them all upon God. Pour them out before God. All your physical needs, all your spiritual needs. But also... your joy, and your gratitude for all the blessings he's given you. We read in Philippians 4, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer, with supplication, in supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Prayer is not just an opportunity to bring our problems and say, Lord, give me, help me, I want, I need that, but it's first of all to give thanks to God. Why is prayer necessary for a Christian? Because it is the chief part of thankfulness that God requires of us. Heidelberg Catechism, I believe it's Lord's Day 45. Pour out your heart before him in prayer. You know, we don't do that very often. Not like we should. I look at my prayer life and I think, wow. Professor Hankel said, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked at little how little we really prayed. I think he's true. I think he's right. We have this great privilege. We have this great privilege to communicate and pour out our heart before the God of, the God of all the earth. And we often don't have time. 
We're often bothered with other things and more concerned. That's to our shame. But, now the point I'm leading up to is this pouring out our hearts to God is a manifestation of trusting God. Many do not pour out their hearts to God, but keep things back for various reasons. They feel, for example, that what they have on their hearts is too small and insignificant for God. Oh, this joy I have, this trouble I have, God doesn't want to be bothered with that. I think, for example, when parents came to Jesus with their children and wanted Jesus to bless them, the, the disciples shooed them away. Their thought was, Jesus is too important to bother with little children. And he was upset about that. He says, allow the children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes we think, God doesn't want to be bothered with this. I'll take care of it myself. And that's the next thing. Uh, I don't need help. I don't need help. I can take care of this. one. In, in this matter here, I'll take care of it. I really don't need God's help. And it can be that sometimes we're afraid to bring up matters to the Lord. What we have to tell the Lord and should tell Him is too shameful. We, we've sinned deeply. We've hurt others. We've become the occasion for others to blaspheme God. We've done this sin so many times. And we seem like we never learn. I don't dare go back to Him with it. I've had that often, found that often is the case. People struggling. Have you brought it to God? No, I don't dare. I, I don't dare. And part of it is they don't dare face it themselves. They don't dare face it themselves. And they won't bring it to God. If we trust in God, we will pour out our hearts, keeping nothing back. We keep things back from other people when we don't fully trust them. If I don't trust you, you're not going to hear much about what's in my heart and soul. The more I trust you, the more I will open up my heart to you. We must have complete trust in God. We must trust in Him that He is interested even in the small details of our life. In fact, He's pleased when in joy we come and express our gratitude and our joy for the least of His blessings. He rejoices in that. But we must trust that He will also receive us and not turn us away when we come with our sin, our terrible sin, the sin that we're so ashamed of, the sin we don't want anybody to know about, the sin that has plagued us and plagued us and plagued us and we've been there before and we've asked God to help us and forgive us and here we did it again. We must trust that God will not reject us when we come as repentant sinners. We must trust in Him so that we see that He can fulfill all our needs. Oh, He may use means to do that. If you're sick, He may use the doctor to do that. 
you have this problem or that problem, he may bring into your life someone who has a solution and provide and walk with you. But we must trust that he will provide and not turn us away and therefore pour out our heart before him. That's the second point. Now the third point. In Zion, everybody knew when I was coming to a different point, I'd take a drink of water. <coughs> the basis, God is a refuge for us. A refuge is a safe place in time of trouble. This could be a hiding place in a cave. It could be a high rock from which you could defend yourself. It could be a strong tower to which you can flee when the enemy comes. Every town of any significance had a, had a, a high tower that the people could get up into. <coughs> and when there was an attack, at last resort, they could, fl they, they could flee into this high tower. It was a refuge. A person can also be a refuge. A person who will protect us. We look out after us in time of need. We can flee and turn to that person and know that we're safe. Here we're told that God is a refuge for us, his people. In verses 2 and 6, we read that God is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. He, he is a solid rock that I can stand on and I won't be swept away. He's my salvation. And he's my defense, or literally a high tower. And so in verse 7, picking up on that and carrying it out, we read, In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. He's my rock, my salvation, my high tower. He's my refuge. And so now the verse we have before us picks that up. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him, people. He's a refuge. He's a refuge. You're safe with him. And we are told why he is such a, a sure refuge in the last two verses of this psalm. 11 and 12, God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Power belongs to him. And unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. Power and mercy belong to God. Of course, he's all-powerful. All power is his. He is almighty to accomplish his will, whatever he desires. Our God is in the heavens. He has, do he has done whatever he, whatever he desires. Proverbs 115, verse 3. And by the way, the term God here is used throughout this psalm for the most part. Instead of Lord. There, Lord is here too, but mostly God. The term God emphasizes God's strength, his power. To him belongs all power, but also mercy. 
Mercy is his compassion for his people. And when he sees them in distress and in need, his heart goes out to them. He is deeply affected. And he reaches out to help them in his great power to deliver them from their woe and to bring them to a blessed state of joy in him. That's the kind of refuge he is. The God of power, the God of mercy. He's our refuge. He's our safe place. And that serves as the basis for us to trust in God and pour out our heart before him. Being our refuge, God is certainly worthy of our trust, isn't he? God has become our refuge, a safe place for us, providing in his mercy and power all our needs in Jesus Christ. He obtained our salvation in Christ. Certainly, he's worthy of our trust. What mercy he brought his own son to the hell of cross of the cross to suffer the punishment of our sin. He's worthy of our trust. And the emphasis of this psalm is that because God is that God is the one and only refuge that we really have to put our trust in. Notice, I've got to rearrange things here a minute. Well, that's not working. I'll just stand up and do it. Verse 2, he only, God only is my rock and my salvation. He's the only one who's my rock and salvation. The same is said in verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation. He's the only one. And therefore, in verse 5, My soul, wait thou only upon God. Wait patiently and confidently for him to come with his salvation and help. Only in Him. And that's in keeping with verse 9. Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Rich men, poor men, men of high degree, men on the lower realm of society, they're nothing. When it comes to true help, lasting help, to be a safe place. They aren't there. They may promise things. They provide nothing. Absolutely nothing. God alone is full of power, full of mercy. He alone is a sure refuge, worthy of our trust. 
And only when we trust in God and open up our hearts to Him do we find Him to be the refuge and the safe place. You know, a city in Bible times may have a high tower. They got their wall, but it isn't so strong, so they build a high tower. That's their refuge, a place to flee when the enemy comes and overwhelms the outskirts of the town. But let's say that when the enemy comes, some don't go there. For one reason or another, they don't have confidence in it. And so they make other provisions and they, they expose themselves to danger. They don't go to the safe place. And that happens. In like manner, we must in time of trouble flee to our God in time of trouble to find refuge. Proverbs 18, verse 10 writes this, says this way, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth to it and is safe. The name of Jehovah, that's Jehovah, as he's made a name for himself through all his great works of salvation throughout the Old Testament and the New and ultimately in Christ. He is the strong tower. That's where we find safety. But now look at the righteous run to it. They run into it. And only as they run into it are they safe. Are they safe? In turn, when we in faith and trust pour out our hearts to God in time of trouble, that's what we're doing. We are fleeing to God our refuge. And we're safe. We're safe. When we entrust, pour out our hearts, as we've described it, we find the safety of God's refuge. How we expose ourselves to hurt and great injury should we fail to do this. Let me give the example of David. Remember the great sin of David with Bathsheba, adultery, then murdered her husband? He failed to flee to the refuge. He saw Bathsheba bathing herself at night on the roof of her house and lust seized upon him. Did he trust God at that time? Did he trust the word of God that to commit adultery at this time would be disaster? Did he trust the word of God that to be obedient and to be chaste is the way of joy and happiness? No, he didn't. He should have. He should have gone to the Lord, opened up his heart and said, Lord, I'm lusting after this woman. Help me, help me. I, 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 I'm, I'm headed for disaster otherwise. Help me. But he didn't. He took her. Committed adultery with her. Did he confess that sin to God? To find forgiveness? No, he didn't trust God. He should have 
and trust, said, Lord, I, 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 I've, I, I've gotten myself into this sin and I've enjoyed it and, and help me. Help me to repudiate this sin. Forgive me. But he didn't. He exposed himself to more danger. Then when he found out that Bathsheba was with child, did he turn to the Lord to find help? No, he didn't. He thought he could cover it up by arranging for the murder of her husband. He exposed himself to more and more danger. And for nine months, or several months, he lived in impenitence, thought he got away with it. Read Psalm 32, read Psalm 51, read about the grief that he experienced during that time. He didn't trust the Lord to take away his sin, to help him solve the thing. Only when God sent Nathan the prophet to rebuke him with the story of the, of the sheep and the one lamb did he buckle. And then, as a result of that, he brought shame to his house. The sword never departed from his house. The baby's life was taken. He exposed himself to danger because he didn't trust the Lord's word, the Lord's help to stay away from this woman and be chaste. And that's just one example out of many, many, many. Should we fail to flee to God for refuge by not trusting in Him and pouring out our hearts to Him, we will do the same in time of temptation, at a time of loss, at a time of discouragement, a time of worry, a time of anxiety, a time when what God requires of us seems too great. If we don't trust in Him, if we don't flee to Him, by trusting Him and pouring out our heart, we expose ourselves to horrible danger. Now the Lord will not let us perish. He didn't let David perish. But in the process, we can bring great harm to ourselves and to those around us. Let us trust the Lord. He's worthy of our trust. To make your trust grow, read the scriptures. Hear the word of God. Hear his promises. Then pour out your heart before him in good times and bad. When you struggle with sin, when you fall into sin. When you're married, when you're single, when you're raising children, no matter what you're doing. And then you'll be able to wait upon the Lord in time of need. To wait here means to wait upon the Lord in silence, in peace. Not wringing your hands, not worrying, not complaining. What's happened this time? No, wait in confidence and peace for the Lord to work 
his salvation. May God grant that to all of us. Amen. Father in heaven, thanks for thy word. Lord, this word exposes our weakness, doesn't it? Lord, increase our trust and faith as we read the scriptures, as we encourage each other, as we sit under the preaching. And give us, O oh God, to pour our heart before thee and trust. And find in thee a sure refuge and safety in time of need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.